You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. But what's what's interesting to note is that in the context of being made in his image, one of the reasons that we're not to make images is because God's already done that. Right? Think about that. God has already created a portion of creation in his image. That's us. That's every single human being. We are created in the image of God. So God doesn't want us constructing out of the rest of creation and and trying to formulate some image of God. God's saying, hey, we don't need graven images because you are my image. You are the image of God that I have put on this earth, not rocks and hay and stubble and concrete and gold and silver manipulated together to create some type of uh, figure, right? The, the creator God can't be reduced to some type of uh, image like that, right? But in addition to that, God's already given us an image of him, and he's given it through us as human beings. As image bearers, God tasks all humans to rule and subdue the earth, right? Yes, we have kings and leaders, but technically we all have this responsibility to cultivate the earth, to move it forward. And I love this portion of Genesis because it has such relevancy to everyday life, to really embrace this idea that you're placed on this earth to make much of this earth, right? You're, you're put here with unique talents and gifts and abilities. And that's that lens that we're trying to see every student through at Trinity is that they come into our school and we want them to, we want to help them understand that they are unique, talented, gifted, and they've got creativity that's intertwined within them. And they get to use all of that specifically to them to do something with this world, to move it forward, to subdue it, to make it useful for others, right? Because that's the picture we get in Genesis 1 and 2 and 3, is that mankind is placed here to rule the earth, to make it a productive environment that brings glory and honor to God. We get to do that as image bearers of God. Now, sin comes in and taints that, right? We're going to talk in the coming weeks about what does sin do to the image of God that we were created in, Right? But sin certainly uh, limits our ability to advance the world, right? Because we create good things, but we also create bad things, right? We create good things that end up getting used for bad purposes as well, right? And so mankind, as image bearers of God, God gives us a portion of his creativity to create and to fill the earth and to do things with the earth. Sin perverts that. Right, sin perverts that, and sin takes good things and makes them bad things. Um, but there's still evidence of the fact that we're created in the image of God through our creation. Um, we're going to talk about how Jesus shows up and gives us an example of what it looks like to be a human bearing the image of God. Now, obviously, we've just come through two great studies in the book of Hebrews and in the book of John to get a better understanding of who Jesus is. So we should be able to see Jesus through this lens now of being the image of God and, and being this perfect example of what it looks like to be a human bearing the image of God and imaging him well. Now, Jesus obviously is different than us in the sense that um, he is the image of God, whereas we are made in the image of God, right? Jesus shows up. Not only is he a human who takes on the image of God, Jesus is God, right? The Bible describes him differently than a human being who's made in the image of God. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. Both these passages talk about him being the exact imprint of God, right? So Jesus functions a little differently than we in the sense that he is God, 
but he's also taking on the form of a human to bear the image of God. And so there's a lot of things that we can learn about ourselves by watching Jesus. And we've just seen that in the gospel of John. So we'll talk more about that. Um, one of the things that I think really stands out to me and how Jesus models what it looks like to image God well is that he rules during his life here on the earth by serving others, right? He puts others first. We see that in the ways that uh, he would uh, wash the disciples' feet, the ways that he prepared breakfast for them, right? Um, we see that he's impartial when it comes to whether he's doing that towards his friends or towards his enemies, right? Right? Jesus is washing the feet of all the disciples, including Judas, right? Jesus is healing people, including Malchus, who's there to crucify him, right? So Jesus shows this intrinsic value in every human being, whether they are good or bad, right? Whether you're uh, Mary Magdalene, who's going to end up serving him and following him, or whether you're Malchus, who's going to get his ear back, and then he's going to take you to be crucified, right? So um, Jesus is serving and ministering to people, whether they end up becoming his friend or not. Um, and it's a great example to us that the way we treat people can't be shaped by what perceived value we think they offer to us, that they're valuable because God says they're valuable, um, because they are made in the image of him. All right. This image of God concept answers the questions. Who am I? It gives human identity an answer. It answers the question. Do I matter? It gives value to every human life. It also answers the question, why am I here? It defines our purpose as human beings. These are questions that those who contemplate suicide struggle with, right? These are questions that uh, people who are struggling with their faith are, are being challenged with, right? And so when we come back to this foundational piece in the book of Genesis— seeing ourselves as being created in the image of God, it gives us a healthy value, perspective, and identity about ourselves. right? It, it's gonna, we're going to see here in a minute. It causes us not to elevate ourselves too highly, but also not too lowly. Um, and then it gives us direction for what to do as a valuable creation of God, okay? So let's look at the flow of Genesis chapter 1 just to remind you where we were at several years ago in our study. Uh, we see in Genesis chapter 1, God creates a world to reflect his glory. Uh, God is initiating general revelation. He's making himself known to a world that he creates, right? So we see that God starts to uh, create uh, the sun, the moon, the stars, right? And then we see later in Scripture how the stars declare the glory of God, that we can see God's goodness through the seasons, right? This is my favorite season of the year. Hot weather's here. It means cookouts, it means swimming pools, it means lakes, it means creeks. I mean, there's just so much that I love about the season of the year, right? Uh, but we see God's goodness through the seasons. Um, we can't stay in one season all year long, unfortunately, um, because there's things that the seasons bring to us that reflect God's goodness. So God creates all these things in Genesis chapter 1 to be a uh, initiation of general revelation, those things that we can know about God through creation. Right. Um, on day six, he culminates with all of his creative work by giving special attention and planning to human beings. Right. Um, just as one's kind of rolling along, things are just popping out. God's doing things. Right. And then in that verse 26, God pauses and within the Trinity, 
there's this, this conversation about what we're going to do next. Well, we're going to make man in our own image. Um, you don't see that type of intentionality with any other aspect of creation, right? Not to say that there wasn't intentionality or wisdom or guidance behind all these other pieces of creation, but I think Moses is intentional through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit writing this book to show that, hey, there's something different about mankind. He gets special attention in Genesis chapter one. God's having a conversation, father, son, and spirit about what they're going to do with mankind. And then we see mankind is created male and female and they become his masterwork because they are created in his image. Now the Latin phrase for this, the Imago Dei, sometimes you hear that, that terminology. What does it mean to be created in the image of God? Well, we're saying that every way in which we are like God is that image of God, right? Let's talk about some of the specifics. Well, physically, I don't believe that we physically look like God because God's spirit, right? God is spirit. We worship him in spirit and truth. We learned that in the gospel of John. Jesus takes on human form, but they, they in the Trinity, no, no, no reflection of the Trinity was viewed as a human prior to Jesus coming and taking on human flesh. But what we do see in our physical makeup is that we possess body parts that enable us to do what God does, right? You read Psalm chapter 94, verses 9 and 10. What does that passage talk about? Well, it talks about God being a God who created ears because he hears. He created eyeballs because he sees, right? So we, we know that God, even as a spirit, can hear, can see, can talk, right? He's created us as human beings to be able to do those things as well, right? So we can see aspects of us being God-like through our physical makeup, Mentally, we can reason, we can use abstract language, and that separates us from animals because even though animals can communicate, animals don't have a written language, right? Um, abstract language we use as human beings. We have an eternal awareness, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. Animals think for the here and now, they make preparations for the coming seasons, but we have eternity written on our hearts, is what Ecclesiastes 3.11 says. We show creativity, we express emotion. These are things that are consistent with who God is. Spiritually, we possess a body and a spirit. God has created us as immortal beings. So while God has no beginning and no end, he's created human beings to have a beginning, but no end, right? We, we, we are eternal. We are eternal. And even though our bodies die for a time period, the Bible's very clear, we are going to be resurrected to those bodies again. And some will enjoy eternity with him to everlasting life. And others will endure eternal punishment, right? But God has created us to be eternal beings now, similar to who he is. From a morality standpoint, God's created us with this inner sense of right and wrong. Um, we're accountable for our actions. That separates us from the rest of God's creation, right? He holds us accountable for the choices and the decisions that we make. We are capable of performing righteous acts. We can do good on this earth. And so we reflect God in, in those ways. Um, but you might ask the question, doesn't the rest of creation reflect God's glory? And it does. It does reflect God, right? We, we've, we've mentioned that with the stars. The stars reflect God's glory. The seasons reflect God's glory. But no other aspect of creation reflects God's glory in such a way where God would give his stamp of um, declaration that this piece of creation is his image, right? That belongs to human beings uniquely. Next question, one that I've been asking myself is, don't angels, and therefore even Satan, possess most, if not all, of the attributes that make us godlike? Think about this. Angels, 
heavenly beings, some of the other creatures that we've seen in the book of Revelation that maybe don't fall in the classification of angel, but are still these created beings in heaven surrounding the throne, worshiping God. Aren't they God-like? Would we not say that they too are created in the image of God? Well, they certainly show creativity. The angels are held accountable for their actions, right? Uh, they're bound and, and they're going to spend eternity in hell, those that rejected uh, God and followed Satan. Um, they are immortal. They're going to exist forever. Uh, they use language. They express emotion, right? So how are we different from them? Or are we the same? Are we all created in the image of God, angels and humans? I think that maybe the defining difference between the two, um, angels are never spoken of as the image of God, which doesn't mean that they aren't, uh, but they certainly aren't identified in that way anywhere in Scripture. But one of the key pieces that I've found is that they do not share in the same role or purpose that we have. So even though they may reflect God in much of a similar way as we do, they have a different purpose. And we see the difference in that purpose in Hebrews chapter 2, another book that we've studied recently. Hebrews chapter 2, I guess recently is relative because we haven't studied Genesis recently. 2014 is not really recent, I guess. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 5 says, For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, that somewhere being Psalm chapter 8 verses 6 through 8. So he quotes from there. What is man that you were mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. And then in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12, it was revealed to them, angels, that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you. By the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels long to look we are different from angels because the angels are not included in the gospel story now how that makes them different i don't fully understand but i do believe that there is a and we're going to talk about this the peace about us being created in the image of god necessitates that piece of redemption because what god wants to do is he wants to come in and fix what he created he he, he created humans to be his image on this earth and then sin created an issue because it marred that image, right? God is committed through the, the story of redemption to fixing our image so that we can get back to imaging him well, right? And angels aren't a part of that. Angels rejected God. He banned some of them from heaven, and he doesn't fix that for them, right? He fixes it for us. He makes it possible for us to be redeemed, and that certainly separates us from angels, okay? That was a big, giant, long introduction. Um, we're going to flow pretty quickly through our, our points of application uh, in our outline. So number one in your notes, if you were taking notes, if you want to take notes, understand as an image bearer, your place has been defined for you. Your place on this earth, your value, your worth has been defined for you. For our kids, you have value because God says you do. Your place has been defined for you. All right. So kids, you have value um, because God says you do. Now, I operate over the fourth through eighth grade at Trinity. And that is what I love about that age group is that's the age group where kids are trying to figure out who they are. Right. Uh, really, up until third grade, kids aren't really wrestling with it as much. Um, 
you start hitting that fourth through eighth grade slot and kids are really wrestling with who they are. They start to be aware more and more of others. They're, they're, they're more aware of what they look like in comparison to what others look like. They are far more aware of their performance level in comparison to how others perform. Um, and so they are really wrestling with these questions that I shared with you earlier. Who am I? Do I matter? Why am I here? Right. And what I love about being able to minister to this age group is that we get to come in and help them understand that it's already been defined for them. It's not something they have to figure out. God, God's word tells us God's word defines it for us. Right. It starts by defining it here in this passage in Genesis that we are not God. So number one, you're not God. You're made in the image of God, which assumes, implies, states, declares that there is a God and we are not him, right? So you don't get to be John Steingard and say, you know what? I don't like this. I'm going to remove myself from this sweater, from this burden, and I'm going to do things the way I want to do them. Unfortunately, you don't get to make that decision. Um, You were created for something different than that. Um, You can rebel and do that, um, but be held accountable for it um, because your place on this earth has been defined for you. You're not God. We're like God, but we're different, right? We reflect God, but we're not God. We're dependent. We're finite. We're accountable to him. We share in the attributes of God, but we do so in a limited way and now even in a tainted way. So let me, let me tell, you, tell you what I mean by that. I told you that we're made like God. Jesus is the image of God. We are made in the image of God. And there's a, there's a big difference there because when we talk about love, mercy, grace, justice, kindness, truth, wisdom, Jesus is the perfect personification of those things, right? Even before sin entered into the earth, Adam and Eve, when they were created in this state in the garden without sin, They would never be a perfect personification of love, right? They could be much better at loving than we can be in this sinful state. They could be much better at showing justice and kindness and grace and mercy than we can as sinful human beings, but never would they be the perfect imprint reflection of what it means for God to be love or for God to be merciful, God to be gracious, right? Um, So even in our best state that we've ever seen so far in our human history, we were not God, right? We're tainted even more so now as sinful beings, but in the image of God, we are created in such a way where we share in some of these attributes. We can show love and kindness and mercy and grace to those around us. We can show justice by punishing those who have done wrong. Um, We're commanded to do that, right? And so we are very God-like in the attributes that we can show and demonstrate to this world, but we're not God. Number two, we're not an animal. We're like animals, but we're different, right? We're created on the same day as animals. So there's implications there that they, that while we image God, there's certainly some likeness about us that goes along with animals, right? Animals can see animals can hear because they have ears and they have eyes as well. Right. Um, We're like animals, but we're different because God shows intentionality in us, right? We talked about that planning process. God pauses and talks about what he's going to do with mankind, shows that we're more important than animals. He breathes life into us. That's different than what he does with animals. While animals possess the breath of life, 
we are specifically told that God breathed into the nostrils of Adam to bring him to life. And then even when God creates the female, right? Uh, he creates Eve. He shows incredible intentionality um, and design and purpose by taking the rib from Adam, right? You see this, this intentional process, right? Whenever intentionality is shown, it increases the value, right? And so uh, we're not animals, right? I know we've got a lot of animal lovers in our, in our church, probably my son, probably the, one of the champions of, of loving animals. Um, and, you know, <laughs> we were talking, we were joking yesterday. Abram found a bunch of worms that were hiding under our um, water slide from all the rain. And uh, Abram was excited, gathered them all up and said, hey, we're going to use these for, for bait. You know, and it, and it threw AJ into just a, an emotional state of not wanting to see these worms perish in the mouth of a fish, right? Like great value being placed on these worms, right? And, and what it kind of made me realize is that, uh, and AJ, if you're listening, we need to have a conversation about this uh, later this week is that I don't want my kids to, to devalue animals in such a way where there's no regard or no care given to them. Because I do believe that when we are called to subdue the earth and to rule the earth, that that doesn't mean that we domineer the earth. It means that we show care to the earth, right? But what I want my kids to understand is that they can love animals, but they better, they better love their siblings to a much greater level than they love an animal right? So you don't get to talk negatively towards a sibling. You don't get to be mean and selfish and hateful to a brother and sister and then show greater value to something that the Bible would say doesn't possess near the value, right? Like, so God gives us animals and we can love animals and they can be a big part of our life, right? Just make sure that they never take a greater place of value than any human being could ever do in your life, right? Image bearer demands much greater value than non-image bearer. We're not an animal, right? Uh, the Bible says that the animals were created according to their kinds. It's used like 10 times in Genesis chapter one about the animals being created. Human beings are contrasted with that. They are made in the likeness of God, not the likeness of themselves, not according to their kinds. They are made according to God's kind, right? Our bodies reflect a common creator, so we've got similarities to animals, but the distinction lies in the capabilities of our bodies. We can do far more with our bodies, and God's designed them that way, than animals can. We rule over the animals. Um, and I told you that symbolic language really is the, one of the sharpest breaks between what animals and man do on this earth. Uh, we're self-conscious. We're morally conscious. We're others conscious. We're God conscious. That separates us from the animals as well. All right, so we're not God. We're not an animal. Number three, you are uniquely you. You are uniquely you. Together as male and female. And this is where I love the fact that, that God chose to emphasize through Moses that there is not greater value for one gender over the other. <clears throat> I fully believe that, that gender matters and is important, though. Right? Like I think God is very specific to emphasize gender in a culture and day and age right now where gender is being minimized and uh, blurred and confused, right? I believe that God's very specific that he has created male and female, right? To come together in this imaging process. And it doesn't necessitate that you have to have a male or a female to image God well, right? Like we're not saying that the only way you can do this is to be married, right? But I believe that God has gifted us in such a way 
as male and female that man, we image God well, very good together as male and female, right? And so you're uniquely you, whether God's created you male or female, he's created you as an image bearer of God and both image him, right? Both male and female image him well. Um, we have the ability to create, to communicate, to reason, to relate, to rule, to love, to worship. And here's what I, I, I love is that even in our most disabled formats, the image of God exists and a person in that state can image him well, right? Because there's been cultures throughout the years who have devalued human life that's been disabled, right? Whether born disabled or whether through some type of circumstance after being born become disabled, right? But think about like even some of the most disabled people that you know, people with learning disabilities, development disabilities, and then just stop and think about how sometimes they do a better job of imaging God well in the areas of love, and kindness and joy, right? Like I, like I love, I love some of the stories that you see about somebody who's been born with like Down syndrome. And, and sometimes the, 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 the stories that show like the love and the joy that, that rings true. We've got some people that work on our campus at Trinity who, who have some, some, some learning challenges and learning disabilities. And they are some of the most joyful, friendly, kind, loving people that you could ever meet, right? So... <laughs> It's, 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 it's neat to see that even when sin and, and disabilities are, are, are a fruit and a product of, of sin at its core base, we've seen in the gospel of John that it's not that your parents did something wrong and that's why you're in this state, right? That God uses that for his glory. But ultimately, right, all the things that are wrong with this world are a result of sin. But it's neat to see that even somebody who's a more marred version in our perspective of being able to image God well, God steps in and says, you know what, I'm going to magnify some of their abilities to image me well, even in the midst of their disabilities, right? What it tells us is that, man, every single individual has value, no matter what capabilities they have or what incapabilities they have, right? By simply being human, they possess great value because they're born in the image of God. Um, Number four, you're valuable. You're valuable. The image of God establishes human dignity, not just for you, but for everybody, right? The value of every human is tied to the creator rather than our perceived value. I love Proverbs chapter 14 says, Proverbs chapter 14. Verse 31. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker but he who is generous to the needy honors him not just the needy person but he honors the maker right what's that passage communicating to us well it's communicating to us that the human being whether he's poor whether he's needy whether he's disabled that he possesses value because of who made him not because of what he offers to society, right? Again, going back to that fourth through eighth grade mindset, fourth through eighth graders tend to believe that um, if you're smart, if you're athletic, if you're popular, 
Like that's where the true value lies. Like you need, you need to have something there. Like you need to either be the smart kid, popular kid, the athletic kid, right? Like you're, you're searching for this identity that exists outside of you and you're trying to find it through what other people perceive to be valuable. What the Bible says is that you possess value, whether you're popular or not, whether you're athletic or not, whether you're smart or not, right? You possess value because of who made you. It's similar to, you were to come over to my house and see some of the uh, artwork of my children or some of the creative construction of my children, um, you would question whether any of it had any value, right? Um, and unless you're my wife, Lauren, or maybe her mom or my mom, you would question the value of it. Even as a dad, I might question some of the value of this stuff, right? Um, but have you ever seen like, uh, like an abstract painting or something? And you're just like, I think I could probably do that. Right? Like all they did was like spray some paint and it's selling for like thousands of dollars. Well, why is it selling for thousands of dollars? Not because you couldn't reproduce that, right? It's because of who did it. Like the who did it part is what gives value to that splatter of paint, right? The splatter of paint at my house is valuable because my kids made it and it's valuable to like my wife and my, and, and our parents, right? Um, famous artists splatter some paint and it sells for thousands and thousands and hundreds of thousands of dollars because of who made it, right? And, and culture's perception, this is a good artist and you want the things that they make, right? So this passage is telling us that God is the artist. He is the maker of all human life and therefore, all human life has value. Whether we deem it valuable or not, it's valuable because of who made it, right? The value of every human being that you're going to come in contact with this week, right? The, the employee at the fast food restaurant that's going to get your order wrong this week, and you're late already for wherever it is you're trying to go, and you got to turn around and go back and get it right. Like that employee is made in the image of God. And they are valuable, even if they're not valuable to their company because they don't know how to get an order right. They are valuable because God made them. And we are to see them through that lens. We're to see them through that lens of being an image bearer of God. And when we do that, it shapes the way that we, we see them and how we treat them. Um, this, this piece about God being the maker, the painter of every human life, it's why we don't show partiality to those that society deems more valuable. Right? James talks about this. We don't show partiality because of what we deem valuable or not, every human life is valuable. C.S. Lewis in The Weight of Glory says, there are no ordinary people. You've never met a mere mortal. The people you see every day, even the ones to whom you give little regard, will live forever, either under salvation or judgment. He's made all of us for his glory, and we actually display that glory through our distinctiveness, our uniqueness, and our specific stories. Going back to that conversation Jesus has with Peter about John, right? That all of us have value. We're all created equally valuable, and yet God creates us all uniquely different. And that's the piece that we're trying to hone in on at Trinity is that we want these kids to see their value, but also to see their uniqueness in that value that God hasn't created us all the same with all the same abilities. He's created us all equally valuable, but all different in ways that we bring glory and honor to him. So we bring glory and honor to him through the unique ways that he creates us as well. Um, and we see that through uh, unique gifts and abilities and that specific story where God is telling a story through you 
And it's different than the one he told through the Apostle John. It's different than the one he told through Peter. It's different than the one he told through your brother or your sister. Your circumstances aren't the same. You're valuable. You're distinct and different. And you get to bring glory and honor to him through those differences. All right. Um, image of God establishes human dignity. It also establishes the sanctity of life. Human life cannot be taken lightly. Genesis chapter 9. This is um, after the flood. God's talking about the value of human life to Noah and his offspring. Tells them to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. And then look what he talks about. Verse 5. For your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it. And from man, from his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. Sanctity of life. God says, I'm not going to put up with people taking human life. I'm not going to put up with it in the animal kingdom, and I'm not going to put it up with it from other human beings as well. Now, I don't believe that animals make a moral decision to eat a human being who's swimming around in the ocean, right? Like, we're on their territory. We're in their environment. Like, they're just responding instinctively to the fact that they're hungry and they need food, and you're there, right? But God says, you know what? You have every right to go and take the animal down for taking the life of a human being because I want to elevate the life of the human being, not in the animal kingdom, but for every other human being watching. He says, I don't want there to ever be a case where we think that something is more important than a human life, including an animal's life, right? Take the animal down, take the human down, right? Because it's going to teach and reinforce what I am telling you. And that is every human being is made in the image of God and bears value, right? Regardless of the abilities or value that you think they bring to society. You're valuable. Human dignity, sanctity of life, need for redemption. We talked about this and we'll talk about this more in the coming weeks. The image of God has purpose in you. And when sin breaks it and sin mars it, 1 Corinthians 15, 49 talks about how God is going to be intentional to fix it. He's not okay with that image being marred and tainted. He's going to come in and fix it. 1 Corinthians 15, 49. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, Talking about Adam, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Talking about Christ. Romans 8, 29, we are destined, predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. The implication here in your notes, all people are created in the image of God. And that should change how we view and interact with others as well. As well as the issues that we care about as believers. Right? It's why we're so intentional to ask you to give money to the um, Crisis Pregnancy Center. It's because we believe that we need to save lives because they're created in the image of God. Every life matters because every life is created in the image of God. Image gives reason for equality, right? Like we're, we're a nation that's founded on the fact that we believe that every human being has equality about them, right? Well, the only reason we believe that is because there's something about our creative uh, process that, that makes us believe that. And it's because God has declared that. Right, that, that every man has equality about him and should have equal opportunity is because they're all created in the image of God. Right, God's word gives purpose and meaning for that even belief system. All right, number two, we'll finish up. Not only should we understand as an image bearer that our place has been defined for you, but also our purpose has been decided for you. Your purpose has been decided for you, for you kids. Um, your reason for living is to reflect God in all you do. And this is why suicide is so tragic. Because, um, well, 
Paul talks about is that he wants to live his life in such a way, whether by life or by death, he honors God with his body. Right? And, and while I think there's been a shift in how the church has responded to those who take their life, and it is an unbelievable tragedy. And I know people in our church have probably been impacted by that. Um, we have to speak to the fact that this is not the right course of action to take for those who are still living that may be struggling with that idea, right? We are commanded to live our life in such a way, whether by life or by death, we are giving honor and glory to God. And I believe that goes even so far as to, to how we go about um, handling our dead body, right? Like we talked about this way back in Genesis about uh, burial versus cremation. And, and while I don't believe that there's a right or a wrong I do think that you can look at that and, and you've got to determine what's what's better and what's best, right? Because here's the thing. I want to make sure that even in my death, I do everything that I can to glorify God with my body. Everything, even in the way that I die. And even what happens to my body after I die. I want my funeral service to be very little about me and very much about God and very much about the gospel and about the hope of the gospel and the fact that this body that you see right here is coming back to life. And I want the body to be in such a way where people can see it if possible. Right. Unless I've been so marred by a shark or something like that, like, like make my body visible. So it's burned into people's minds. This is the last time you're going to see me. You're not going to see me like this the next time. Right. Like I'm coming back to life because of Jesus. Right. So, um, your purpose has been decided for you all the way through your death right? Bring glory and honor to him. Number one, you're not independent. We don't get to define our purposes. We don't get to come out from underneath the sweater and start living now, right? Like you don't live disconnected from being the image bearer that you are. That's the only way to live because that's what you were designed for, created for. You're not independent. We don't define our purpose. Our position of image bearer comes with specific responsibilities that we are commanded to carry out. We have the unique role of being God's representative here on earth to creation. One of the things that we get to do is we get to tell the younger generations about God, right? We get to make his, his glory known to them. We get to tell them about God's faithfulness and goodness to us. We get to fill this earth with better image bearers who know God better because of what we're able to tell them and teach them. We're called to be in community as we multiply image bearers throughout the world, right? You see the, the community of the, the Trinity talking, and then you see that male and female are created to be in community. We need, we need community to image God well, right? You're not independent. You don't get to operate however you want to. You don't get to operate solely by yourself, right? You were created to be in community. Number two, you're not expendable. The human role is a needed position because God made it that way, not because he needs humans, but because he wants them, okay? So get to tread lightly right here. Humans are not expendable, meaning we're not throwaway trash that, that's unneeded or unvalued, right? But our value and our need only comes from what God creates about us, right? God has structured this world to need human beings. He doesn't need human beings, but he's designed the world to need human beings because the way he's designed it is that the world gets cultivated and subdued by human beings, not by angels right? But by human beings, not by animals, but by human beings. He has structured the world in such a way that the gospel goes out, not by angels, 
not by visions, not by dreams, but primarily by what? Human beings. So the human role is a needed role because God has made it a needed role. And every human being has a purpose within that role. He structured his world in such a way that gives value to the role humans play. I'll close with this. Humans can enjoy a unique relationship with God by filling the earth with the knowledge of God's glory and by stewarding the earth well as caretakers of his creation to honor him. So what we see from Genesis 1 here is that I have value and I have purpose because God God said so. God made me that way. I'm made in his image and I'm equal with every other human being being made in that image. But then I'm also very unique as me. Um, I get to play a role in subduing this earth and moving it forward and making him known and glorifying him through the talents, abilities, and gifts that he's given to me. And he's done that differently for me than he's done it for you. Um, and, and, and what we're trying to do at Trinity, what I want to do here within our church is I want people to come to understand that value and purpose, right? Because I think once you realize there's value and purpose, it motivates you to find the gifts and abilities to use them, okay? So understanding that we're image bearers is where it starts. I have value, I have purpose. Now it's, okay, what is my purpose? How do I show that value? How do I, how do I cultivate this earth? How do I make much of God as his image bearer? Because that's, that's what I am. I'm, I'm an image bearer. I'm, I'm made like God. God to represent him here. So how do I love and show kindness and show goodness? And, and how do I use my creativity to make much of him? That's what we're going to continue to talk about in the coming weeks. Implication here, man is called to make much of God by doing much with the earth. That's kind of where we'll stop for today, is that we are called to make much of God by doing much with the earth. And we'll talk more next week about how, how that looks. Okay, Our application for today, and we're about to break up into... Uh, groups to kind of close us out. We won't spend but more than about 15 minutes doing this. Um, but I want us to break up into groups and you're going to talk about this one question. How should these truths shape our life this week? Everything that we've talked about today, how does it shape your life this upcoming week? That's our, that's our discussion for today. We're going to pray and you'll be dismissed from your groups. Okay. Family worship question. I want everybody to take some time to Watch the Bible Project video titled Image of God, and I'll post a link for us on the rim. Um, and then I want us to discuss what it means to be created in the image of God based off what the video talks about, based off what we have talked about today, too. We're going to close before we go into our groups by watching a video to kind of help tie all this together. And like I said, we'll spend about 10, 15 minutes talking about the implications of this for this week. We'll pray together, and then you'll be dismissed from your group when you're done. The canvas of God's love is broad. But as Christians exercise the love of God in the world, one common thread holds it all together. The Christian story speaks of a mystery that lies deep in the soul of every human being. In the beginning, God in all his power and creativity reached down to craft a world that reflects his glory. By his word, he spoke the planets into existence, but with his hands and his breath, he sculpted men and women unlike anything else. The scriptures tell us that human beings were God's masterwork, and he wrote his signature, set his imprint on the human soul. Humans are created in the Imago Dei, the image of God. 
we have the ability to create, worship, communicate, reason, and relate. We are capable of love and responsible for our actions. The Christian story also tells us that humankind, created for intimacy with God, rejected God instead. Created to reflect Him, we sought to replace Him. This sin brought death and destruction into the world. But the fall is not the end of the story. For God sent a Redeemer, the perfect image of the invisible God, took the fractured pieces of our humanity and bound them up, restoring the broken image of God and renewing our lost fellowship with Him. This, the image of God, changes everything. It shapes how we see the world and one another and calls us to honor the image of God in everyone. Christians work to alleviate poverty, disease, and starvation because even the poorest of the poor are created by God in the image of God. Christians work to rescue and rehabilitate abducted and trafficked girls and boys because there is no such thing as a disposable human being created by God and in God's image. Christians fight abortion because children created by God in the image of God should not be terminated and discarded, and because mothers created by God and in God's image deserve our care. Christians uphold the dignity of the elderly and disabled because all who are created by God in His image are fearfully and wonderfully made and dear to Him. Christians work on behalf of all immigrants because they too are created by God in the image of God and should be welcomed as we would welcome Christ. Christians work for religious liberty because the freedom to follow one's conscience is part of what it means to be created by God in the image of God. Christians work for the flourishing of marriage because it's an instrument of blessing for women and men created by God in the image of God and the essential building block of a flourishing society. Christians work for racial unity and reconciliation because all people created by God in the image of God share something much deeper than skin color. In short, there has never been a human being who was not created by God in God's image. And that's what animates everything we do, the common thread that holds it all together. God's image compels God's children to love all people. The world is broken. We yearn for the day when Christ will make all things new. But for today, we do what we do. We strive for justice and dignity, liberty and flourishing. Because every person who bears the stamp of God matters to God and matters to us. The video that we just watched was called The Imago Dei, The Image of God, and that's put out by the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention. The video can be found on YouTube and on their website. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.